Our reading this morning is taken from Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 37. That's found on, in the Pew Bibles on page 1042, Luke chapter 10, reading from verse 25. This is God's Word. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a good neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Amen. And we thank God for his word. Well, you might like to uh, turn with me to Luke chapter 10, those verses that we read earlier, Luke 10, 25, following page 1042. We've been looking at some of these famous stories that Jesus told, the parables, which so often bring home to us truths of the gospel in ways that nothing else uh, quite could. And uh, every week I say that we're looking at one of the best known of Jesus' parables, and we certainly have to say that this week again as we look at the Good Samaritan. Uh, Neville read it this morning in the prayer meeting and said that we've known this since we fell out of the pram. And uh, it, it, it helped me understand maybe why I am the way I am, because I've fallen out of the pram, but there you are. Uh, the, the, the parable is, is so well known that the, the very phrase Good Samaritan has entered the English language name of a person who helps in one dictionary definition says a person who gratuitously gives help or sympathy to those in distress. The Samaritan's organization, of course, well chosen name, founded in 1953, uh, 20,000 volunteers now, uh, very definition of, of helping those who are in uh, distress. And, and the word has, has a resonance still with our, our culture, even if the story itself is not always brilliantly understood. I, I'm old enough to remember uh, Margaret Thatcher pressing it into service for her political philosophy when she said, no one would remember the Good Samaritan if he only had good intentions. He had money as well. 
Good Thatcherite statement, that. Uh, but there you are. Now, th- that may be true, but I'm pretty sure that Jesus was not intending to make a point about the various roles of the individual versus the state. But, but what point then was Jesus really making? Well, I want to suggest that like many of the other things that Jesus has said, this, this parable is widely misunderstood. Uh, often, uh, people say this is about how to be a good neighbor. And, and that's true as, as far as it goes. But, but Jesus was intending to say more than just that. And we need to hear what he says. And let me tell you why. One of the big questions that people have about God is what do I have to do for God to accept me? How can I be right with God? In other words, how can can I have hope of eternal life after this life? And we sort of looked at that last time with the Pharisee and the tax collector. And it really comes down to the question of of our efforts. What, What role do the things that I do play? In other words, what's the role of my works, the good works that the Bible talks about? Now, this has been a big question throughout the history of the church. At the time of the Reformation, uh, you might remember a couple of years ago, we, we, look, we looked at some of the big principles of the Reformation at the time of the uh, 500th anniversary of the Reformation. And, and there were those great principles like faith alone and grace alone and scripture alone and so on. And, and one of those principles is, is faith alone. And that was a, a big principle at the time of the Reformation because it was countering an idea that your works played a large part in, in how you got right with God. So the reformers were saying, well, it's by faith alone and not by works. But the reformers were misunderstood at that time to, to be saying uh, that works don't matter at all, that it doesn't matter how you live. And of course, that was untrue as well. They maintained that a a faith in Christ, a saving faith in Christ, produced a life that was marked by good works. So sometimes their position was summed up like this, a little uh, pithily. You can't get to heaven by good works, but neither can you get to heaven without them. You can't get to heaven by good works, but neither can you get to heaven without them. So we're going to use that as our way of navigating through this parable because I think that both of these things are addressed here by Jesus. So let's look at the first one. You can't get to heaven by good works. Now, we've mentioned how familiar the idea of the Good Samaritan is to us in our culture, but we've got to remember that, of course, whenever Jesus first told this parable, uh, that was a big shock to the people who listened to it, as we were suggesting to the boys and girls. Samaritans were hated by Jews. Jews would never have ex- expressed any kindness towards an, a Samaritan or indeed accepted kindness from them. You, you'd have got Jews saying, well, the only good Samaritan's a dead one. It was real hatred. Now, Jesus made him the hero of the story. Why? Because of the person that he was talking to. And the man that he was talking to was an expert in the law. And he told this parable, Jesus told this parable, in order to cut through all of his defenses. The parables have all sorts of different purposes. Some of them are sort of illustrations, as we might imagine. Some of them are are sort of filters to filter out the spiritually uninterested. But, but, But some of them are a bit like, as one person said, stealth bombers that sort of come in behind enemy lines and drop their payload. And and that's what this parable 
is very much designed to do. It's designed to take this man by surprise so that that he begins to feel the force of what Jesus is saying. You see, when he comes to Jesus, he thinks, like so many of the people who came to Jesus, who came to test him, he thinks that he is a, a pretty good guy. And you can see this in the conversation that he has with Jesus before the parable about the law, when he sums up the thrust of the law in verse 27. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul, with all your strength and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. So he he thinks the implicit suggestion is he thinks he's doing a pretty good job. And, (coughs) And excuse me, and Jesus can see this and he lulls him into a false sense of security by what he says next. You have answered correctly, verse 28, Jesus replied, do this and you will live. Now, maybe there's a little of that that makes us feel a little bit uncomfortable. We might have expected Jesus to say, oh, no, you're on the wrong track here altogether. But, but of course, Jesus knows exactly what he's doing. He's a, a marvelous, perfect personal evangelist. And he uh, it knows exactly how to make this man feel the impact of the truth. See, if Jesus had just simply said, well, actually, you're a sinner, you fall short of God's standards, the man would have argued the bit out with him. So Jesus takes a different approach. He says, do this and you will live. Jesus was, was really sort of saying, okay, you think you can get to heaven by being good? You go right ahead and try. But the man wasn't going to leave it there. I think the reason that he wasn't going to leave it there was because even in the conversation with Jesus, there was be- the beginnings of a little niggling doubt in his mind. Oh, of course, I I know that that the job is for me to be pretty good, then God will accept me. But how, how good do I really have to be? Reasonably good? Very good? How good do you have to be? Take, take that bit, for example, about, about loving your neighbor. How, how, how good at loving my neighbor do I have to be for God to be Accepted, accepting of me? Is it my, my family? There was a big debate about this in, in the time of Judaism. Is it just my family that I'm, that I'm to treat as my neighbor? Is it the person who, who lives beside me? Is it the, the good Jews that I meet at the synagogue, the people who go to my church? How far does it extend? I, I, I'll just check that out. So Jesus, who is my neighbor? Now, now, before we go on, we just need to underline something, and that, that's that clearly Jesus knows that this is how many, many people think. Getting right with God is about being good. That, that, that's the whole, the whole issue he's dealing with. Last time we saw that with the Pharisee and the tax collector, isn't it? And, and here we see it again. And it's a common issue that's addressed right throughout the Scriptures. Really interesting, isn't it? If, if we could jump in a time machine and go back to a first century Palestine, we would have real trouble explaining a, a television or a, or a car or a phone. But we wouldn't have any difficulty, as long as we could communicate, we wouldn't have any difficulty talking about these sorts of spiritual questions. How does a person get right with God? Because these truths and the confusions that go alongside them are, are age old and will continue to the future. These Things haven't changed because the human heart hasn't changed. And, and the human heart, Jesus knows clearly, is, has a default setting whereby it tries to earn 
It's salvation. Luther said it was the, it was the, the, the natural anchorage of the human heart. It was where the human heart cast anchor until it was educated by God's word and enlightened by God's spirit. And, and as we've said, we, we see that expressed as people say things like, well, you know, I, I hope I'm going to heaven because I'm not a bad person. I've lived a good life. God wouldn't turn me away. And just like last week, we need to say, I need to say, if you're here and you find yourself thinking that, well, I've never really done anybody any harm, and I'm a pretty decent sort of person, I'm as good as the next person. God wouldn't turn me away. Well, if that's where our hope is, gently can I say to you, you're on the wrong track. That, That will not get you into heaven. And this story actually helps us see why. We know it well. The man is set upon by robbers on this notoriously dangerous road down to Jericho from Jerusalem, and they leave him for dead, and they strip him of his clothes. That's very important, actually, because it means that he has no cultural markers on him as to what side he belongs to. He's not wearing a ranger shirt or a Celtic jersey. He's got no indications of who he is. And, and so he's, he's left for, for dead, and, and these people pass him by, those who you might expect to help him, a priest and then a, a Levite. Both men work in the religious establishment. They should be people of compassion, but they're shown not to be. And then this, to the man, this hated Samaritan comes along, and he does exactly what they don't. He, he takes pity on him. He tends his wounds. He provides medical help, long-term care, financial aid for him. He really puts himself out. And the point of all of this, of course, is, is that to the lawyer that Jesus is talking to, he is setting a standard of neighborliness, which is absolutely impossible. You can see that, that this man just can't even bring himself to use the Samaritan's name or his title. Jesus asks him, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? Verse 37, the expert in the law replied, we might expect him to say the Samaritan. No, he says, the one who had mercy on him. Can't even say his name. You see, for the first time, this lawyer sees that the, the standard of perfection is so far out of his reach that getting into heaven by simply being good is impossible. If he's trying to get to heaven by staking his hopes on keeping the rules, then he's on very flimsy ground indeed. Uh, there's, a, there's, a really, uh, there's a real irony, of course, in Jesus' parting challenge to him, go and do likewise. He, he might have added, if you think you can. You see, here's a lawyer who now realizes that he is without hope in terms of the system that he's been living by. He can't keep those rules. The Bible tells us that, Romans 3 and 20. There is no one who will be declared righteous in God's sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. You see, that's what Jesus is doing. He's, he's taking the law and applying its full force to the man so that he suddenly realizes, I'm in the wrong, I'm a sinner. The law is not there to, to provide us with a ladder to heaven. It's there to show us that we need a Savior. 
Now, we don't know what happened to this man. Wouldn't it be great, for example, if, if he went home and shut his bedroom door and fell down on his knees and cried out, oh, Lord, I, I can't do this. I, I realize I'm not good enough. I, I need a savior. That's what Jesus had intended for him. But we don't know. You can't get to heaven by being good. It can't be done. You can't get to heaven by good works. But there's a second layer to this parable. And that reminds us, at least, that we can't get to heaven without good works, as the reformers said. So we've made that point. Nobody lives like this. But actually, we need to modify that a little bit, don't we? Because one does, one has. There was one person who walked the Jerusalem-Jericho road. But but he did it in the other direction, to Jerusalem. And he saw people in need. Not not one person who had been beaten up, but millions who had been oppressed by sin and death. People who were dead and dying and for whom religion could not help. And he had compassion on them, on us. And he came to where... They were, and he cared for them at great cost to himself. Experts reckon that the Samaritan paid enough to the innkeeper to look after the injured man for about three weeks. It was a costly and generous thing to do. But, but Jesus paid in his own blood, his own life. So you, you see what Jesus is doing. He, he's actually telling a story in which if you two are to, to see it in, in its bigger Bible context. He, he is the good Samaritan. We are the, the man dying in the road. We need rescue. And, and Jesus is the one who, who acts in compassion. This is the gospel, you see. Now, here's the thing. When we become part of Jesus' family, when we trust in Jesus for ourselves, when we say, Lord, I can't do this by myself. I, I, I need a savior. I'm going to trust in you. Jesus comes to live in us by his spirit. And therefore, his values ought to become increasingly ours. It's part of the whole process of Christian growth, isn't it? So while we will never live perfectly as he did, the message of the New Testament is that his followers are not just people who talk about loving and caring, but who actually do it. I always love this quote from John Stott. He put it like this. In our own strength, such a life is clearly not attainable, but God has given us his Holy Spirit to dwell within us and changes from within. William Temple, archbishop in the 1940s, used to illustrate this point from Shakespeare. He said, it is no good giving me a play like Hamlet or King Lear and telling me to write a play like that. Shakespeare could do it, but I can't. And it's no good showing me a life like the life of Jesus and telling me to live a life like that. Jesus could do it and I can't. But if the genius of Shakespeare could come and live in me, then I could write plays like his. And if the spirit could come and live in me, then I could live a life like his. You see, God's people have God's spirit. God's spirit who is compassion and and mercy. And so those things are, are a real mark of Jesus' people. 
boys and girls who've gone out to Big Breakfast Club are learning through the summer uh, the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Those are descriptions of Jesus, and yet the Bible tells us that that is what is to mark the life of Jesus' followers. In other words, it's not that, that we live in this way to be Jesus' followers. It's that as Jesus' followers, we must live in this way. It's the proof that something has really changed in us, that we really belong to him. Acts 26, Paul makes that point to Agrippa. He, he describes his ministry in, in, and his message. He says, first to those in Damascus and then to those in Jerusalem and all Judea and to the Gentiles also, I preach that they should repent and turn to God and prove their repentance by their deeds. So the sign is that you're, that you're really one of Jesus' people is that Jesus has changed our lives. Like the reformers said, we can't get to heaven by good works, but we can't get to heaven without them. One writer puts it like this. Mercy to the full range of human needs is such an essential mark of being a Christian that it can be used as a true test of true faith. Mercy is not optional or an addition to being a Christian Rather, a life poured out in deeds of mercy is the inevitable sign of saving faith. That's a challenge, isn't it? That mercy is like an indicator that something has happened inside us and Jesus has come to take up residence. And when we find ourselves lacking in compassion and and struggling to show mercy, Well, we need to remember its author, Jesus himself. If we think, oh, I see that person and I don't feel that I really want to be merciful to them, then we remember Jesus who died for us whenever we were his enemies. If we think, for example, I'm going to hold on to my resources. I'm not going to give to help somebody else. We remember that Jesus became poor for our sake. If we think, well, surely they will just abuse the generosity that that they get, we will remember that Jesus shed his blood freely and many trample it underfoot. You see, if we're followers of Jesus, his attitudes should mark us out. He motivates us to love our neighbors as ourselves, not in order to be his children, but because we are his children. Can't get to heaven by being good, but we can't get to heaven without good works. And we mustn't accept any brand of Christianity that tells you that you can change your destiny without your life changing too. Good works don't make us heirs, but they mark us out as heirs. They they don't make us right with God, but they show that we have been declared to be in the right by God. And so the question, I guess, is that as we wrestle with this, we we say, well, you know, are we we demonstrating that that God has come to live in us by, by our lives? Is mercy just one of those hallmark characteristics 
that marks us out? Or have we become cynical and cold and hold others in need at a distance? Like the priest and the Levite saying, well, yes, I see them, but I've got something more important to do. Samaritan, you see, was a, he was a good news person, wasn't he? You know, what, what, what good news as, as he came along. You can imagine the, 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 the man who fell into the hands of the robbers telling the story in, in, in years to come and, and saying, well, you know, it was terrible and, and, and these guys passed me by. But then the Samaritan arrived and his face begins to beam and he thinks fondly about him. What good news that he had stepped into his life. And surely that's what we long that people around God's people would say. Oh, I'm so glad that so-and-so came to, to work in our office. I'm, I'm so glad that, that so-and-so moved into our street because from them I saw compassion and mercy and through them I came to know Jesus. Are we good news people? So, to this man, Jesus makes it very clear. Don't pin your hopes on getting to heaven by good works. You just can't do that. You you need a savior. And to his children, Jesus makes it clear too that the way of the good Samaritan is how he lived And we are to live as Jesus lived. Well, let's take just a moment or two in quietness to think through some of the ways that that might earth itself in our lives. Let's pray. Lord, in some ways, this story is so familiar to us and we we just trust that it comes to us freshly as we begin to consider it and its message and its impact. Maybe, Lord, for some of us, when we think about what it is we're really trusting in, we're just like that lawyer. We really are hoping that, that if, we, if we sort of love you and love our neighbor, if we, if we try to be good, that you'll accept us. Lord, today, help us to know beyond question that there is no hope in that way and that there is a savior for us. And help us not only to know it, Lord, but to feel our need of him and to be enabled to run to him. Help us, Lord. Lord, for others, we are Christians and and, and yet we've got to be the first to admit that sometimes our, our lives are not dominated by compassion and mercy. We, we find all sorts of thoughts of, of, of harshness and judgmentalism and, and lack of mercy and compassion overflowing from our hearts. Oh, Lord, thank you that the Lord Jesus showed mercy to us. Help us to show mercy to others. Help us to be those good news people that others thank God for having come into their lives. We think of some of the people in our circles, in our families, 
in our streets, in our workplaces, in our social settings. Make us compassionate, we pray. Hear us, Lord, and help us. For we ask in Jesus' name, amen.